Hola and welcome to Catholic View on this Tuesday evening. I'm Sheila Birch. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming up in today's education feature, we'll learn more about the New Skills for Youth program. But before that, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Tuesday evening, hypocrisy destroys communities and hurts the church, says Pope Francis. Angolan Archbishop challenges faithful to build a better society. And we take a look at Pope Francis' schedule for the rest of the week. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Pope Francis celebrated the usual morning mass this Tuesday at the Casa Santa Marta in the Vatican. In his homily, Francis reflected on hypocrisy, warning them against the temptations of hypocrisy and flattery. Hypocrisy, said Pope Francis, is not the language of Jesus, nor is it the language of Christians. In fact, he said, the hypocrite is capable of destroying a community. Pope Francis explained that Jesus often uses the adjective hypocrite to describe the doctors of the law because, as the etymology of the word illustrates, they claim to have higher standards or more noble benefits than is the case. They prefer their opinions and issue judgments, but in reality they are false. And reflecting on the gospel reading of the day, the Pope said the hypocrite always uses language to flatter, just as some Pharisees and Herodians who tried to ensnare Jesus in his speech. Hypocrites, said Pope Francis, always begin with adulation, exaggerating the truth, feeding into one's vanity. Jesus makes us see reality, which is the opposite of hypocrisy and ideology. Pope Francis concluded exhorting the faithful to remember that the only way to respond to flattery is with the truth. The only way to respond to ideology is with reality. Well ahead of Zimbabwe's 2018 general elections, the country's Catholic bishops have issued a Pentecost Sunday pastoral letter titled Elections, Peace and Development. Vatican Radio's Festus Tarawale has more. In the Pentecost Sunday letter titled Elections, Peace and Development, the bishops are calling on Zimbabweans to reject all forms of violence and coercion. They say, quote, violence and coercion or intimidation only serve to discredit our elections. Any use of force, continues the letter, takes away the credibility and integrity of the elections. People must be able to make free choices according to their own judgment, reads the letter. Last Friday, President Robert Mugabe addressed thousands of supporters as he began campaigning in earnest for the 2018 elections. In their letter, the bishops made a specific appeal to the government of President Mugabe to ensure that citizens enjoy their political rights and freedom of expression. 
They are also urging political parties, the government and individuals to strictly adhere to and respect the constitution of Zimbabwe, which was overwhelmingly approved by a referendum in May 2013. The Catholic bishops went on to appeal to Zimbabweans to avoid a repeat of the 2008 political and electoral crisis. As we prepare for the vote next year, the letter continues, Let us respect each other and even mirror in our words and actions the love of God, Father of us all. The letter of the Catholic bishops concludes with an appeal to the state and her institutions and agencies and every Zimbabwean to promote national unity, peace and stability. Angola's Archbishop Emeritus of Lubango, Archbishop Zacharias Kawenyo, celebrated this year's Pentecost Sunday in the Cathedral of St. Joseph in Lubango by calling on the faithful to build a better society and community for all. In his homily, Archbishop Kamwenyo told the faithful that the celebrations of Pentecost was about the renewal of their commitment to build a better society and community, according to the charisms of the Holy Spirit. This is precisely the same Holy Spirit that the apostles received and which they transmitted to us. We now have the responsibility of passing it on to others. The Holy Spirit, in turn, asks of every one of us to build a better society or community right where we live, said Archbishop Kawenyo. Staying with Angola, the Bank of China opened its Luanda branch in the capital city of Angola on Monday. The branch, the first Chinese bank in Angola, started banking operations this Tuesday, June 6. The Bank of China Luanda branch will mainly focus on company businesses and will expand deposit, loan, remittance, international settlement, trade financing, financial markets, as well as other services. It will also actively carry out Angola's cross-border financing businesses to enterprises and customers. Chen Siking, president of Bank of China, as well as some 300 representatives from the Chinese and Angolan political, business and financial circle attended the ceremony. The body of Bishop Jean-Marie Benoit Bala was discovered in a river near Yaoundé, Cameroon on June 2nd. Bishop Bala had been missing since May 31st. His car was found on a bridge over the Sana River with a terse note saying, I am in the water. Divers eventually recovered the corpse. Police had originally theorized that the note in the bishop's car was a suicide note. However, further investigation has raised the possibility that the note was written by someone else and that, in fact, the bishop may have been murdered. Investigations are underway. The UN has lost a great champion of health and well-being, especially for women and girls, said the Secretary-General on Monday, following the death of his colleague and friend Babatunde Osotimei, the head of the UN Population Fund, UNFPA. Dr. Babadunde died in his home at the age of 68. Joslyn Samira reports from UA News. The passing of Dr. Babatunde Osotimhin, the executive director for UNFPA, the UN Population Fund, has been described as a devastating loss for the agency, and especially for women, girls, and young people. Dr. Babatunde was bold and never afraid of a challenge, and his strong leadership helped keep the health and rights of the world's women and girls high on the global agenda, the UNFPA statement reads. 
UN Chief Antonio Guterres echoed this view, stating that Dr. Babatunde was admired globally for his leadership of UNFPA and for his forceful advocacy for women and girls in particular. Sexual and reproductive health are among the most important and often sensitive on the international agenda. Mr. Guterres noted, but Dr. Babatunde's calm yet ardent efforts helped families get the services they needed. The UN chief emphasized as he gave thanks for the late doctor's life of service. He was Nigeria's Minister of Health before he became UNFPA's fourth executive director on January 1, 2011. In other news, decisions made at this week's UN Ocean Conference could chart the future for the next thousand years of ocean change. That's the enthusiastic view of one of the leading scientists who was at the UN headquarters this week. Marine biologist Douglas McCurley says that despite the degradation of recent decades, he's optimistic about what he calls the coming underwater industrial revolution. We are making decisions together today that are going to chart the future for the next 500 years, the next 1,000 years of ocean change. We're really sitting at an important, a transformational period in the history of the oceans. These decisions we're going to make today are going to be probably the most important decisions we've ever made for the future of the oceans. And to have a, you know, a, a, a United Nations full of scholars, of, uh, of fundraisers, of experts, of policymakers that are at the top of their fields on oceans is really exciting and really leaves me with optimism we're going to do something good here. So is there a real chance that we can actually roll back the damage and what role is science playing currently at the moment and how much more of a role do you think science will play in the future? I'm perhaps a bit biased as a scientist but I think that science plays an integral role in this ecosystem which is why there are so many scientists sort of co-mingling with all kinds of other species. I think we're actually sitting on a precipice of change in the oceans where things can go really right if we actually invest the effort, if we invest the heart, if we invest the money, if we invest the intellect or they can go really wrong really fast for the oceans. And we hear a lot of bad news from the oceans. Unfortunately a lot of that is true. There's coral bleaching, there's overfishing, it's Right? But there's a lot, if we actually look at the status of ocean health right now and compare it, for example, to the status of the health of ecosystems on land, wow, we are ahead of the game in the oceans. That allows us to do something that we can't do on land, which is proactively chart a future which will safeguard ocean health and, and in turn safeguard human health because of those strong linkages between our health and health of the oceans. So what kind of real innovations are already happening when it comes to using the ocean differently and more productively? Technology is getting us into some problems and at the same time getting us out of those same problems. So take fishing for example. New technologies are helping us expand the reach and in, this, in essence have industrialized the strength of our fisheries. We're now fishing in the deepest parts of the ocean. We're now fishing in the most remote parts of the oceans. But technology is also our ally. We have technologies that allow us for the first time to use big data, billions of data points that are coming off sensors on fishing boats to visualize where they are and then to begin to intelligently zone where they ought to be relative to biodiversity winds in the ocean. So there's a, you know, kind of a yin and yang there for technology in the oceans and harnessing the power of technologies for the good I think is going to get us towards that future, that future of good ocean health. And how do we persuade countries and companies to start putting their short-term profit motive first? I mean, are, are, are technologies getting smarter and 
allowing us to actually create a sustainable future for the ocean? That is the grand challenge, is, is trying to think about health in the oceans, not at a one-year or a ten-year time horizon, but at a hundred-year or even more boldly at a thousand-year time horizon. But I think that's what we do here in the United Nations, right? Technology is putting us in a position to begin to start intelligently zoning space, intelligently guiding forward sustainable futures for harvests like fisheries, but we have to pay attention to uh, the, the long game here. We have to really set our goals on um, achieving health for the oceans, for biodiversity, and for people associated with oceans, not for the short term, but for the long haul. That's where, that's where it's really going to matter. Are you excited that, uh, that this week can produce some real dividends, some actual concrete decisions that can help move us towards a smarter, more sustainable future for the seas? I really am. I think just having everybody here together in the same space is really going to matter. I mean, really, what it's done first is forced a kind of unique blend of, uh, as we're saying, a weird set of species on the reef that don't always swim together. You have scientists and policymakers and um, NGOs and, and beyond, right? And we're sharing ideas. We're cross-fertilizing one another. And I think that's actually going to distill out into being something that could be very powerful and influential for, for the ocean. Not too little too late. No, no, not at all. I think we have a really exciting chance to, to chart today if we really continue this momentum going. And, and the challenge is going to be, we have this energy here, we have the you know, intellect here, but this is going to last a week. The real challenge is going to keep all these interactions live, keep all this momentum going so that we can make some of this hard change, And whether it's fishing or whether it's landing aquaculture well or getting energy into the oceans or starting mining right. We need to keep all of this community together and the energy so that we can land all this new opportunity in a way that works for humanity and works for the oceans. And not too late. Now, now absolutely is the time. And finally, we take a look at Pope Francis' schedule for the week. After celebrating Pentecost Sunday, Pope Francis kicks off the week with his daily masses at Casa Santa Marta. He will then hold the general audience on Wednesday morning with pilgrims who have come to Rome from all over the world. He will likely continue his catechesis on hope, which has now been going on for a couple months. On Saturday, Pope Francis will return Italian President Sergio Mattarella's visit to the Vatican by visiting the Quirinale Palace in Rome. The two originally met June 18, 2015, so it will almost be exactly two years since this visit. Sunday morning, he will pray the Angelus from the Apostolic Palace, with everyone gathered in St. Peter's Square. It will be the first Angelus prayer since before Easter, because the Regina Celi is traditionally prayed on Sundays until Pentecost. And those were just some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this Tuesday evening. I'm Sheila Pirsch and you're listening to Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas. Coming up next is our education feature and today we learn more about the new Skills for Youth program. The state of youth unemployment in South Africa is concerning. That's according to Statistics South Africa, as a quarter of the labor force cannot find a job. 71% of those unemployed are youth aged 15 to 34, and 30% of those between 15 to 24 are not in employment, education or training. The percentage of young women without work is higher than that of young men. 
The 2011 census indicated that only 4% of youth choose a vocational route, resulting in a lack of employable skills, which exacerbates the situation, with a great majority of youth having never worked at all. There is thus a pressing need to accelerate and facilitate young people's transitions into economic activity, particularly for those young people who are vulnerable to poverty and long-term unemployment. Now, in a bid to curb youth unemployment high rate in South Africa, an important initiative aimed at addressing and understanding the state of youth unemployment in SA was recently launched at Don Bosco Educational Center in Inedel, Johannesburg. The New Skills for Youth (NSFY) program is a global initiative by J.P. Morgan, designed to empower young people to acquire the education and credentials they need to be career-ready for and succeed in well-paying jobs. Supported by J.P. Morgan in collaboration with Jet Education Services, the Catholic Institution of Education (CIE), and the MSc Artisan Academy, the new program should benefit about 1,000 young people. Now, to find out more about this program, I spoke to Janice Silent, the director at the Catholic Institute of Education. Partnership with JP Morgan is one of the first for South Africa in terms of their new youth for skills program. But I think from a point of the actual church, and if I can just give you a little bit of background, is you know um, our religious congregations and some of our parishes have always seen the unemployment in very specific areas, and through that they've established a number of what we call our skills centres, which offer do. Collar skills mainly like merchandising. Um, you'll notice baking. They also do some technical skills like welding, etc. So, the church itself has actually been in this kind of work for a lot of time. But the partnership with J.P. Morgan and their initiative in sponsoring it is brand new, and we're very excited to be in a partnership with them. It was launched in, um, I think, about two weeks ago in um, Enadale, which is one of our Don Bosco centres in run by the Salesians in um, very close to Johannesburg. And the program itself basically started from January. So yeah, that will run for till the end of 2018. So it's very exciting, and there's also a research component. So hopefully, we can look at good models. And also, the church, and you may be aware, is actually partnering with the Department of Higher Education to introduce a third tier of tertiary education, which is going to be called community education. And these centres would fall into that level as well. So that is also quite exciting as part of this initiative. Now, who qualifies for such a program? The CIE, in a way, or the Catholic Institute of Education, has a division of it called the Sabista Skills Institute. Now that institute has been established over the last six to eight years, and their function is almost to network and do quite an extensive work with our skills centres. When you say who qualifies, it's really the centres or our, which have workshops, um, baking facilities, etc., for the unemployed people, and they are short skills courses which basically um, they can build up and then get almost a full qualification. But part of the grant is to look at 
work-based place learning, which is one of our biggest challenges in South Africa at the moment, where we have very high unemployment and a fair amount of people trained, but to find workplaces is a lot more challenging. The initiative or the relationship we have with J.B. Morgan in terms of our skill centers is a two-year initiative. So there are two components to the two years. One component is where the CIE Teresa works with the skill centers directly and assists them or the management leaders with a leadership development course. We're strengthening also their financial systems as well as some of their governance structures. Then for the youth, essentially there are three courses that we will be introducing through the 11 centers, and that would be baking. Now in terms of the bakers, the course that we're looking at and that we put learners onto would be ones that would put them into kitchens or into um, things like checkers and spas. So those would be the kind of bakeries that they would qualify to work in. And then computers, and I think computer skills, as you're aware, is a need for every um, person really who wants any position in any company. And merchandising we're looking at as well, because that is also one where you would have your local bars and you'd have your local tickets, etc., where people could look for employment locally rather than having to move to big urban areas. It's interesting to see that according to statistics, unemployed youth are youth aged between 15 to 34 and 30% of them between 15 to 24. But now, looking at these ages and looking at what the CIE has been doing um, over the past years for unemployed people, especially young people, do you take youth at the age of 16, 15, 16? What are the ages when you look at helping out somebody who's in dire need? You know, the um, obviously it's compulsory education for children or for learners up to grade 10. Um, so basically I think, and I'm not 100% sure on the fact now, but once um, a number of our learners are learners who drop out of school or over age learners, so often it's um, people who've been in school but are not too old to continue with writing their grade 10 and 11 and 12, or they have just dropped out of the schooling system. I mean, as I'm sure a lot of discussions have actually happened on your show, around half the children who start in grade naught get to matric. So there are a lot of children exiting the system before. So yes, those are the target youth that we are looking at. So it's, and often what we do combine with the hard skill course would also be things like our numeracy and literacy because that's obviously if you're doing welding or even if you're doing baking, you need to be able to measure, to computate, etc. And then um, we also have a life skills component, a component because these learners often don't have role models at home. So it would be teaching them things like interviewing skills and also work readiness. How do you get to work to be ready to work? And yeah, so it's sort of a rounded yeah, qualification. And it's interesting on the radio just before I came on talking to you, I see we have the highest unemployment rate in 14 years now. So, yeah, it is a big concern for South Africa. Well, Janice, thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to hearing more about this program as it develops. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it.
And that brings me up to time. This has been your Tuesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, Shayla at radioveritas.co.za. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.